0: At progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates, comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Support for stamp judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com/snap. That's odoo.com snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com. Slash snap. Okay, so the protest here in Oakland last weekend, and I need to go for several reasons. I need to make noise. I need to see my people. I need to join my voice to theirs and say, never again, never again, you will never, ever, never, ever murder another one of us with impunity ever again, ever again. Every life will cost you dearly. I need to let the powers that be know, let them understand fear that without justice, you too will no longer rest in peace. And yes, black lives do matter. I want all of this and as much as I want it. My kids, they burn even hotter, my daughter, my son, and things happen. We can't have them going to protest alone. So we go with them. COVID keeps its distance dual calamities. So instead of marching hand in hand, we join a procession of cars. And when we pass over the ridge toward the bay, and I can see the protest we are a part of, want to weep. Hundreds, thousands of cars, of bicycles, motorcycles, people of all kinds, all colors, all ages, beeping, honking, shouting, waving, handmade signs out of the window. I see you. Students for George Floyd, I see you. Artists demanding peace, I see you. Vietnamese for Black Lives Matter, screaming back light at our national darkness as. As far as I can see, people for miles and miles and miles and miles. Look! Look! I want my kids to feel this. I need them to have hope. Even as I've lost my own. your hand stamp judgment
1: thick
0: blue line real stories from real people chasing down our nation's original sin my name is from washington and i am not the only one with kids in the back seat when you're listening to stamp judgment Again, in New Mexico, in Bernalillo County, where the stakes are high and it is not always clear who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Snap Judgment.
2: Carrie Brandenburg would always say to her children,
3: You know, I'm not going to invest more in you than you're willing to invest in yourself. Gosh, I could say definitely I was a tough love mom.
2: When her son Justin started getting into trouble, doing drugs, then breaking into people's homes, and ultimately getting picked up by the police, Carrie did her best to stay away.
3: I couldn't make excuses for him, and I needed to hold him accountable. I never went to court. I never asked his attorney when any dates were occurring. I never read any police reports. In a way, I felt bad because I couldn't even be a mother, but I just thought it was important that I not do so. Because? Well, just because of a potential conflict of interest.
2: Carrie was district attorney of Bernalillo County, where Albuquerque sits. She's actually the county's longest-serving DA. And while she might have been the poster mom for tough love, people in the county had started to question why Carrie wasn't that steadfast when it came to the Albuquerque Police Department, especially in light of all the recent police shootings.
3: Which came first, the taser or the gun? That is what Albuquerque police are trying to determine after the department's latest officer-involved shooting.
4: Police say officers tonight shot a man with a gun outside his home, a man who may have been drunk.
3: Three Albuquerque police officers pull up on a violent suspect and opening fire on him within seconds.
2: A total of 22 people were shot and killed by Albuquerque police over the course of just three years. And Kerry's office, which is in charge of holding police officers accountable, had not prosecuted a single one. In fact, Kerry had never prosecuted an officer in all her time in office.
3: We did not proceed against any officer on an officer-involved shooting because we did not feel we had probable cause. The legal standard that we needed to go forward with the prosecution.
2: But by the start of Kerry's fourth run as district attorney, a local reporter exposed a huge crack in the system.
5: I think I started to report on on the grand juries in 2012.
2: Jeff Proctor is a journalist who's been covering the criminal justice system in Albuquerque for the past 15 years.
5: What the DA's office was doing Around that time, when I really started to focus on this issue, they would take that police investigation, and to the best of the public's knowledge, they would present it to a grand jury.
2: Now this is where it gets tricky. In a regular shooting in Bernalillo County, the district attorney decides whether they have probable cause to prosecute that person, and then that case goes to a grand jury. But when it came to police shootings, there was a different system in place entirely. Instead of Carrie's office making the tough call, in-house, of whether or not to charge an officer with the crime, she handed that decision over to a 12-person panel called an investigative
3: grand jury. And this had been the process from the 1980s, and when I came into office, I followed that process um, because I thought it was better to have 12 people make that decision that didn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, than the district attorney.
5: We thought that was a traditional grand jury where they were considering whether or not to charge the police officer. And what we came to learn was that those grand juries did not have the power or authority to indict a police officer for an on-duty shooting, even if they had wanted to.
2: The only power these so-called investigative grand juries had was to find probable cause to indict, but they never even did that. Instead, they gave the illusion that a police shooting had been prosecuted, when in reality, it had not.
5: And just to give you a flavor of how friendly this process was to the police officers, the officer would come in and meet with the prosecutor in advance of the grand jury presentation and go over the story, and the officer wouldn't even bring a lawyer with him. It was very, very crazy.
2: The end result is that in Bernalillo County, no police shooting ever made it to a real grand jury. And critics will say that's the whole point.
5: It was a system that was designed to clear police officers. And it worked exactly as it was designed to work.
2: Carrie argues that it's because probable cause is so hard
3: to establish, especially when it comes to an on-duty police officer. Because when a police officer said, I thought he had a gun, and I had, you know, one-tenth of a second to react, it's much more complicated. And the law gives them broader discretion. You know, we were frustrated with parts of the law, but when it got right down to it, I don't know that you'd want to change that law.
2: And so from where you're standing, where you sit as DA, like the protocols in place just made sense.
3: It made sense, yes. It would be very wrong for us to attempt to indict a police officer um, just because the public wants one or the media wants one. And so you mentioned we. I'm curious about you. When I say we, I, I always say we. Um, talking about the office, and we had a number of people weighing in. Um, I had three chief deputies and then myself. Ultimately, you know, I'm responsible. If anything goes wrong, I'm the one that, that can be held accountable.
2: Not long after these investigative grand juries were exposed, a district judge went to carry
5: and said, you can't do this anymore. You don't have a legal authority to use our grand juries in this fashion. And ultimately, the practice was stopped.
2: By now, all eyes were on Albuquerque. The Department of Justice was in town investigating the police department for use of excessive force. And for months, Carrie sat on a backlog of police shooting cases as her office scrambled to come up with a better practice for holding police officers accountable.
5: There was a fair amount of outrage among a growing group of family members, of, of people who'd been shot by the police, um, and others in the community who went regularly to city council meetings and there would be, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 people in a row signed up for public comment, all basically saying the same thing. Something needs to change with our police department. But I would say that it really exploded after the release of the video recording of two officers shooting a homeless camper named James Boyd.
2: the police shooting of James Boyd set off a series of events that would leave no one untouched, including Carrie Brandenburg. On a sunny day in March of 2014, James Boyd was camping up in the foothills of East Albuquerque. A neighbor called the police to report that James Boyd was out there illegally, making noise and threatening a dog. Two officers showed up. How's it going? Go ahead and come out. Salva police. Let me see your hands.
5: They abandoned the effort to try to reason with Mr. Boyd, a homeless, deeply mentally ill man who had two small pocket knives with him.
3: Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop Drop the the knife, please. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop the knife.
5: And ultimately, about 20 officers showed up on scene. They put into place this haphazard plan to take him into custody. They threw a flashbang, sick, sicked a dog on him. Do tried to shoot him with a taser shotgun, which didn't work.
1: His hands oh. still armed. Get your hands
4: out. Drop the knife.
5: And then two officers fatally shot him as he was turning away from them. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. And it was... At that time, one of the clearest looks in American history from an officer's perspective at a fatal police shooting.
2: The entire incident was captured on the helmet camera of one of the officers who shot James Boyd. A week later, the Albuquerque Police Department released the video.
5: And it's a very difficult video to watch. It's a man being killed on video. It's a, from a human
3: perspective, it's, um, it's brutal. I remember seeing the video over and over and over as probably, you know, millions of other people. I did not see why it was necessary to shoot him at the time that they shot. I didn't understand that. Now, I can tell you as a, as a prosecutor, as a DA, you know, we don't have the luxury of looking at that tape of the shooting and jumping to conclusions so i wanted more information
2: it would take the albuquerque police department six months to turn over its report of the james boyd shooting to the district attorney's office once carrie had it in her hands
3: it took her one month to decide what to do we felt like we had probable cause Um, there was enough question and that we needed to proceed by way of preliminary hearing and allow a judge to look at everything and decide whether or not to move the case forward to trial.
2: And so this is the first time that you're deciding to file murder charges against two officers. Yes. What was different about the Boyd case?
3: Well, for one, we had a video of it that showed the actual shooting and it was very clear we had probable cause, you know, we had evidence that would meet that legal standard. We told the community when we had probable cause, we would go forward. Was it a hard decision to decide to prosecute for you? It was, um, yes, it it was very, very difficult. It was probably one of the most difficult decisions, you know, uh, I had to make as district attorney.
2: How so? Why?
3: Well, we knew that the police department wasn't going to be happy. Um, There was no question about that. But we had to do what we felt like we had to do. Carrie talked to the defense attorney for
2: the two officers who shot James Boyd and told him she planned to bring criminal charges
3: against them. And um, his response is, you know, that's what I figured. But before Carrie could even carry out that decision, she got a knock on her door one Friday morning. Our PIO, public information officer, came into my office, and she said, Carrie, I got an email from a reporter from the Albuquerque Journal, and he wants to know, do you have any comment about um, being a suspect in a case involving your son? Carrie's
2: son Justin was charged for burglarizing two homes a year and a half before, at the time, Carrie had talked to the victims and encouraged them to report the crime. But now the police department was claiming that Carrie had tried to bribe these victims so they wouldn't
3: report her son to the police. I couldn't get my head around. You know, how can you tell two people to go to the police and then you're, you know, then you're a suspect and bribing them? I, I don't even know if there's words for how I felt. I was um, shocked and it just came out of nowhere. Two days later, the Albuquerque Journal broke the story. Which obviously called my integrity and honesty into question. I wasn't feeling good. I never thought I would be in a situation where I was a suspect in a criminal case. It had been two months since Carrie told the
2: police she was going to prosecute the two officers who shot James Boyd. And now she found herself the target of an investigation by the same police department. When reporter Jeff Proctor dug further into the story, he learned that the police department had opened this investigation into Carrie the year before, but lacking any solid evidence, they had closed it.
5: And around the time that she started to make noise about charging the officers and the Boyd shooting, it didn't necessarily get reopened, but they, the Albuquerque Police Department took this big box full of stuff from from this investigation they'd conducted, and they drove it up to the state attorney general's office. They set the box on a conference room table in the AG's office and didn't tell anybody that it was there. And this was over the Thanksgiving weekend. So the attorney general's folks discovered the box the following Monday or Tuesday when they got back to the office. Meanwhile, the city of Albuquerque gave the case file to the Albuquerque Journal. And the Albuquerque Journal wrote a story before the Attorney General had even seen the file, saying that Carrie Brandenburg was a suspect.
2: The day after the story broke, Carrie decided to hold a press
3: conference at her attorney's office. I was very clear in saying I did not do anything, and I would not do anything that was um, criminal or illegal or use my position as district attorney in any way whatsoever. And I never would have done anything that would absolve um, my son of of responsibility for his actions. And then one reporter asked.
0: Carrie, will you continue with your probe of any uh, police shootings, including the Boyd shooting?
3: I said it's it's business as usual, and I will continue to to do my job. I was even more determined, you know, to to press on and, and do what I thought was the right thing in regard to the Boyd case.
2: A month later, Carrie finally filed criminal charges against the two officers who shot James Boyd. But if she thought it was going to be business as usual, it certainly was not.
3: The following day, there was another officer-involved shooting involving the Albuquerque Police Department. Two officers shot and killed
2: a man during a foot chase. And when Carrie's chief deputy showed up on the scene, like they always do... She was asked to leave. And my chief called me up and said, Carrie, we're getting kicked off. Carrie told her to sit
3: tight. She got on the phone with the city attorney and other officials. And they basically said, we don't want you here. You're proceeding on the Boyd case, and we think that creates all sorts of issues. I said, we have to. It's our responsibility to be there. The very next day, city officials made themselves even clearer.
2: The mayor's top executive sent Carrie a letter calling on her to remove herself from prosecuting the James Boyd case and appoint a special prosecutor. They argued that because she was now a suspect in a case involving her son, she was no longer impartial
3: towards the police department.
2: What's your reaction?
3: You know, I, I, it was, uh, I think I said this is the twilight zone. I mean, we, we are living in the twilight zone. Um, it's bizarre, is what I thought.
2: But Carrie held her ground, and kept moving forward with the case, until...
0: The judge has just ordered district attorney Carrie Brandenburg's office to be taken off the James Boyd murder case.
3: Over the fact that Brandenburg charged the two APD officers with murder around the same time police were investigating her in connection to criminal cases involving her son. Now, even though the judge points out that the two cases are not linked, she says the appearance that they're connected creates a conflict. In fact, the court said there wasn't a conflict of interest, but there was an appearance of a conflict of interest, and she removed us from prosecuting the case. One of the attorneys for one of the officers said, made some comment like, well, now that the DA's office is conflicted off, I'm sure that they won't be able to find someone to prosecute the case, so it'll probably end up being dismissed. It left a bad taste in my mouth. A lot of things that happened left a bad taste in my mouth. Carrie might have been conflicted off the case, but the judge
2: did task her with finding someone else willing to prosecute the two officers.
5: In removing Carrie, ultimately what the defense lawyers for these two officers got was an opponent who was one of the best trial lawyers in the Southwest.
2: Carrie brought in an attorney named Randy McGinn, And she took the case all the way to a criminal trial, where the officers who killed James Boyd had to face murder charges. But in the end, the jury hung. Three chose to convict, nine chose to acquit.
3: So, you know, we were validated all the way up the line um, until it got to the jury. And, And the jury hung. Wow. What do you think of that? Well, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't acquit outright. It's very, very difficult to get a conviction. And I think that most people in our community, at least most people in the legal community, were assuming that the officers would be acquitted. And we were surprised that it was a hung jury and that three people voted to convict.
2: With a hung jury, there was still a chance that the two officers would be retried. But that decision would not be up to Carrie.
3: I've
5: written a bunch of stories about that in the aftermath of, of the hung jury. There were people who were very upset. There were other people, you know, who took sort of more of a, a 30,000 foot view and said, you know what, the, the officers were charged. We had a public preliminary hearing done with the lights on. And then, you know, we had a public trial where both sides got to make their case and 12 people got to decide what the result was going to be. So this was, in fact, the system working.
2: Carrie had long ago decided that her fourth term as district attorney would be her last.
3: I'd ask someone to shoot me before I'd run again because that was just a lot of time. I want to get back to some kind of quality of life with my family. Before she left office, she did get one bit of good news.
2: The attorney general cleared Carrie as a suspect in the case involving her son, Justin.
5: And what he determined was that the entire APD investigation and the way it was handled and the way it was publicly disclosed had been politically motivated. In fact, I interviewed him shortly after he uh, released his report, and I asked him point blank, what do you mean by politically motivated? And he would not elaborate.
3: I was relieved. I just read that he said that there was no evidence and you know that was the end of it and that's pretty much all I cared about
2: did you feel redeemed in any way
3: you know I didn't feel redeemed I wish I felt dirty from the whole mess Um, it was ugly it was nasty it was negative and I don't know that I'll ever feel cleansed from that Um, but you know, you, you do the best you can and, and move forward.
0: A very, very big thank you to Carrie Brandenburg and Jeff Proctor. And to find out more about what's gone down in Albuquerque, we're going to have a link to Jeff Proctor's reporting for the Albuquerque Journal on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original score for this story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Nancy Lopez. Now, when we return, a man is mistakenly arrested at the airport and soon learns that his fame can only get him so far. When Snap Judgment the thick blue line continues stay tuned Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Big Blue Line episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and get ready, because we're going to Snap Judgment Live, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, for a police encounter like you've never heard before. Snap Judgment, live. The uh, next guest, along with his partner, Questlove, he's taken his band, The Roots, Around the world, they now landed as a house band on the Tonight Show. Everything this brother touches turns to gold. Snap Judgment just got a little bit (laughs) funkier. Please welcome to this stage, Tariq Black Thought Tribe.
1: I am taking the stage at the Ross Gilder Festival outside Copenhagen, Denmark. There are two acts playing on the main stage. It's my band, The Roots, and it's Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. So, we come out, we run through our set, and it was stellar, if I do say so myself. We did a great show. Afterwards, we're in the dressing room, still reeling, talking about how great the show was and how great it was that Bruce and the band stood off in the wings and watched our set in its entirety. And we started asking ourselves questions like, well, what did he think? Was his head moving? Did you you see him tapping his feet? And uh, stuff like that. And then in a surreal turn of events, Bruce came into our dressing room and he asked, he said, "Uh, you guys want to come back out and perform with us during our set. (laughs) Needless to say, of course we want to come back out and perform with you. Mr. Springsteen, uh, what are we going to perform? And he's going through his his head and he says, uh, uh, maybe we'll do Born to Run, no. Maybe we'll do, uh, let's do Wrecking Ball. And he says, no, let's do the E Street Shuffle the way we did it with you guys on the show with Jimmy great say no more we're out there we're on stage i'm performing bruce springsteen is right next to me his lyrics his lyric sheets are sprawled on the stage at my feet and he relinquishes his microphone to me and my partner kirk douglas and we're leaning in to share the mic the same way that bruce who's to my right and little stevie van zandt who's to my left the same way they lean in to share the mic that's what me and kirk were doing and we're rocking it and Um, for me was a career high. I've never felt more American. I've never felt, (laughs) you know. uh, I've I've never felt like more of uh, an ambassador of the arts. And, um, yeah, it was a career high. I remember thinking to myself, you know, we finally arrived, you know. And this is a feeling that stuck with me well into my arrival the next day at JFK airport. So we land coming through customs and immigration at JFK and the VIP treatment and feeling kind of continues because we're being ushered out of the mere mortal line and into the into the line where uh, you know they have the diplomats into the country. So as we're coming through the diplomatic entrance I hear a couple people some are airport workers others are uh, you know just travelers and they're saying um you know who is he? As to say, you know, who am I to be ushered through the diplomat's entrance into the country? So my partner Questlove, he goes ahead of me and he's he's, he's in, he's at the baggage claim now, easy breezy. Um, I'm expecting to come in and do the same, but there's a, a problem. So the gentleman who's looking at my passport, he looks down at my passport, looks up at me, down at the passport, up at me, and he says, uh, Surely this is something that's going to be resolved relatively quickly, but you're going to need to step into this room over here on the side. So now I'm at JFK. I'm in the room where folks are interrogated when their name raises a red flag. Enter Officer Courtney, an asshole. Now, I'm not usually the one to prejudge, but Officer Courtney in Immigrations at JFK was such an asshole that you could tell with him just sitting there doing nothing. He was a textbook asshole. So, I'm sitting in the room with Officer Courtney for what felt like an eternity before he finally looks up and asks, you want to tell me about Lancaster County? And I'm thinking Lancaster County? I mean, that's where I went to college 20 years ago? Surely there can't be any matter that was left unresolved between me (laughs) and the fine people of Lancaster County P.A. But Officer Courtney says, no, Lancaster County wants you, so you're going to jail. Now, I try to name drop, even though it's something that I never do. I said, hey, I mean, come on, man. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm an entertainer from the late night show with Jimmy Fallon. I just want to get, get back home to my family for the last few hours of the week, and surely you can understand that. And he says, nope, you're going to jail. So I asked if I could make a phone call And he offers to make the call for me He calls my wife And there's no answer So I get to thinking about home And my daughter Who was about six years old And you know Who wanted to see me uh, Upon my arrival home from Europe I'm thinking about my wife And the rosemary garlic chicken That I asked her to have uh, (laughs) Waiting for me when I got back And um, my wife calls back Courtney answers the phone. Courtney, and you know, his answer to all my wife's questions about how come I hadn't returned from the airport yet and what was going on, he just says, your husband's going to jail. Bang, and he (laughs) hung hung up the phone. So, um, at this point I feel defeated, deflated. Uh, I'm super confused. And uh, I'm being ushered out of the airport. I'm being paraded in front of some of the same people who A little while earlier were asking, you know, who's he? Now they're asking who's he, but they're asking for a different reason. So I got handcuffs on. I'm taken out of JFK. And before I know it, I'm in Queens County Central Booking Facility, uh, being given what appears to be preferential treatment because I was in a cell that had unlimited local uh, phone access. I had a payphone in there I could use. It had a, a clean toilet. And it was directly across from the night watch desk where, uh, you know, the corrections officers were staffed and they they had to, you know, watch what was going on. So I felt like, you know, I was in the the executive suite, so to speak, of this jail. In the wee hours of the night, a, a corrections officer came and asked me to change cells. And he took me from my cushy executive suite into... The deeper, darker, more dank area of the jail, where there were less people around, and you know there, there was less of a watchful eye being kept. And I'm wondering what I did to deserve this downgrade. You know, so I'm there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting, and finally the guy comes back, and um, I'm 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 essentially his captive audience. He begins to to perform. <laughs> so. I'm on one side of the bars, he's on the other side. He's performing his demo for me. <laughs> and he's explaining to me, you know, that, you know, his name is Darnell McCormick, but his stage name is D-Nails. And he's like, you know, my whole angle is the fact that I'm a corrections officer, but I'm proud of it, see? It's a lot of these other they corrections officers, they try to keep it on a low. So that's gonna be my whole angle. I'm D nails, I'm 5-0. You know what I'm saying? Now, I have, uh, 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 two options. I could play along and, uh, you know, act as if he was, you know, one of the greatest artists I had ever heard. And try and expedite my, uh, release. Or I could keep it 100 and just tell him the truth what I really felt about his music. So, needless to say, I said, hey man, you sound great. <laughs> I said, uh I said, man, we should exchange information and when I get out, we should maybe link up and do something, you know. <laughs> so we exchange information and I hear some of the other corrections officers asking D nails, who's he? <laughs> and I hear them saying stuff like uh, eh, it's Will I Am. <laughs> it's uh that's, uh, that's Mr. Cheeks from the Lost Boys over there. Nah, silly, it's love, it's 2 chains, all sorts of stuff. So I sit there, I wait, I wait, and finally I'm released, uh, with no time to spare before duty calls. So it's now Monday afternoon, it's time for me to report to my day job. So I get out, I had a few words with my attorney, and he directed me to the subway. I jumped on the train, ride from Queens, and the train stops in the bottom of Rockefeller Center. I run up the stairs, jump on the elevator, run into Studio 6B, still just totally bewildered. I'm like, you know, what just happened? And before I know it, I'm on stage. I got my signature fedora, a suit jacket, and uh, no, no shoelaces still, no belt. But I'm on stage, and Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon makes mention of me in, in his uh, monologue. He says, Tariq Trotter, ladies and gentlemen, from the Roots, give it up. Come on. Come on, give it up for Tariq Trotter from the Roots, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm thinking, thank you. I'm thinking, uh, you know, as I look down at the monitor to make sure that it, I look cool without my laces in my belt, and that you couldn't tell that I just Literally, Jesse got out of jail, and um, I'm thinking Tariq Trotter from The Roots. Who's
4: he? Thank you. Tariq
1: Trotter.
0: That story was performed live by Tariq Black Thought Trotter at the Brooklyn Academy of Music for Snap Judgment Live. The music was written by Alex Mandel and performed by the Snap players Alex Mandel, Tim Frick, and David Brand. When Snap Judgment returns, a reluctant young boy scout earns his merit badge in reality. Stay tuned. snap judgment the big blue line episode my name is glenn washington our next story it comes to us from the place of my birth detroit michigan shannon Kayson. shannon's one of my favorite storytellers from the snap favorite storytellers and people they always want to know why let me tell you why because lots of folk can tell a story shannon shannon tells it like it is
4: When my mom left my dad, we moved from Detroit to Ecorse. Ecorse is one of the only suburbs outside of Detroit that Detroiters look down on. But I ain't think about it, I was just a 12 year old kid growing up. I never did much wrong, I even got involved with the Boy Scouts of America. Well it's like this, I really didn't want to become a Boy Scout, something about the name Boy seemed disrespectful. In that uniform with the little neckerchief and all the badges, yeah, I ain't see myself wearing that. But the Boy Scout meeting was in a gym, and I love basketball.
0: Okay, calm down, guys.
4: The arrangement the troop leader made with me and my friends was if we become Boy Scouts, we would spend one hour in the Boy Scout meeting doing Boy Scouty things. Everybody line up. Then the last hour he would throw out a basketball. All right, guys, go play hoops. And we didn't have to wear a uniform, so I was in. Stop cherry picking. The only kid who did actually wear a Boy Scout uniform was the troop leader's son, and we would torture him for wearing it. So one day I'm on my way to my Boy Scout meeting, and I had a dollar, so I stopped at the corner store to get some better made red hot chips and a Fago peach, my favorite. I hate it when people talk bad about my neighborhood, but there was a drug raid going down at the corner store, and these weren't regular police, these were like evil police. It was like the police were high on meth and they were chasing after the crackheads. The police were called Drano, the Down River Area Narcotics Organization. That was their name, Drano. And I remember I was standing watching as Drano was cleaning up the streets come on, come and they had on the combat gear and I'm watching, like I'm watching a cartoon of G.I. Joe, not thinking that I'll look like every other person that they're arresting. So one of the Drano guys, like Incredible hawk leaps Get over to wall. me and screams at me right there. Right there. and throws me against the wall and then handcuffs me. They put us all in a van. The city ain't even have enough money for a proper paddy wagon. It was just a van with the seats taken out. It wasn't even orderly. We were just all stuffed in back like slavery transport. They take us to this dungeon in the bottom of some building. And they had us like lined up against the wall facing it. And it's dark in the room. And this may surprise some people, but then to some, Probably not so much The police start whooping everyone's ass One cop cut his hand punching someone They just stomped that guy out They got to me And I think they knew I was young I wasn't even in high school yet But they called me out And one of the officers, huge guy Dressed like a ninja turtle He asked me What you was doing out there And I know he saw my fear I told him I was just going to my Boy Scout meeting, and he smacked me. It was a smack so hard it took a while for the pain to catch up with the actual sound of the smack. Don't lie to me, young man. What you was doing out there? I had to think about it. I think I was, um, yeah, I was actually headed to Boy Scouts. And he smacked me again. So I'm not dumb. The next time, I just told him what he wanted to hear. Uh, Sir, I was out there, and I was, I was on the corner, and I was selling drugs. Then he didn't smack me anymore. They eventually called my mom to come pick me up, but she sends my dad, who's going to take his own time to get there. Then that officer who smacked me calls me out again. He's like, come here. I ain't gonna hit you, come here And he said I want you to know You ain't gotta live this life, young man I know it seems attractive You see these guys, they got the cars, the women They rapping about it I grew up in the same neighborhood you did, young man And I'm gonna tell you That life doesn't pay You either go to end up dead or in jail And I tell you, you come to jail through me, I'm going to put my foot. And it wasn't pleasant things he was saying he would do to me. But he went on. The only reason I feel for you and know it's not all your fault is because your drug dealing dad just showed up smelling like a weed factory. I should throw Bob Marley in jail right now. They got programs that can help you. They got the their program, I'm involved in that. The Junior ROTC, I was involved in that. Get in one of these programs, young man. And I wanted to tell the guy, my dad actually doesn't sell drugs. He's a good dad. He just smokes a little weed. And you really don't have the right to put your hands on me like that. And I can't help but go to the corner. That's where the store is at, you big dummy. But of course I didn't say that. I said, yes sir, and left. I told my dad everything that happened and my dad tells me that this is all a part of growing up in the streets we live in. I didn't want to accept that. But what I did do, I asked my dad to get me a Boy Scout uniform. And every time I went to the corner store before my meetings, I stood there drinking my pop, eating my chips, just like before, just wishing I'd run into that Drano cop again, so I could tell him. I'm in a program, you big dummy. It's called the Boy Scouts. Coach, Coach, why we can't
2: practice long?
0: Amazing. Shannon Kaysen is a writer, award-winning storyteller, host of the In Good Company podcast, and Shannon Kaysen's Homemade Stories Podcast. We're gonna have a link to all things Shannon at our website, snapjudgment.org. This episode is dedicated in loving memory of our fallen. George Floyd. Tatiana Jefferson, Brianna Taylor, botham John, Sandra Bland, Ahmaud Aubrey, Tony McDade, countless more say their names rest in power. a moment of today's Snap Judgment episode subscribe to the Snap Podcast and let everyone know let us know what's on your mind on Facebook on Instagram Snap's on Twitter and so am I Snap is brought to you by an amazing team dedicated to spreading love through story and that even includes the Uber producer Mark Ristich Pat Messini-Miller Anna Sussman Rimsel Gorio John Facile Shana Shealy Rissa Dodge Nika Singh Eliza Smith Lauren Newsom Dale DeCott, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, Regina Bediaco, and Leon Morimoto. And this is not the news. Thank God, because we have had enough news. In fact, we could even maybe even use this pain and this hurt, this sorrow as a healing moment instead of continuing down our dark path. And we would still then, even then, not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRS. get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com snap. That's
3: O-D-O-O dot com slash snap.